prepare to be frightened. This is a special edition of the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, and today we are talking about the scariest foods. Ooh, the foods that you absolutely, positively cannot put in your body without having some sort of repercussion. What are they? Well, we are going to tell you on the show today the absolute scariest foods you can possibly eat. That's what Dr. Neil Barnard and I are going to be discussing. We actually did this as a Facebook Live on his Facebook page on Halloween. How cool is that? On Halloween, it was a very special edition of the show. Appropriately, of course, we're talking about the scariest foods. So what are they? Well, you know, if you've listened to the exam room for any length of time, you can probably guess what a couple of them are. But man alive, are there some curveballs on here. And, and... Have you seen this? Have you seen what Burger King is doing with this Nightmare King? That's what they call this sandwich, this Nightmare King sandwich. Not only is it a burger, but it comes with chicken. It comes with bacon. It comes with mayonnaise. It comes with cheese. And it's on a green bun. A green bun. Now, ordinarily, I love green food. But I cannot possibly wrap my head around a green bun. What is that all about? Is that really good? Well, we're going to tell you why this Nightmare King actually is a nightmare. What Dr. Barnard says about it is frightening, frighteningly fascinating. So what are the scariest foods that you could possibly eat? Well, you're about to find out. And as a hint, it starts with what you drink in the morning. You ready? Set? Boo. Happy Halloween. Welcome to a very special Facebook Live edition of the Exam Room Podcast. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. And with this being Halloween, the scariest day of the year, we thought, hmm, what would be a good topic to discuss? The scariest foods. How about that? Foods that are terrifying. And so with that, we welcome to the show, Dr. Neil Barnard. You're going to help scare us a little bit. I mean, it's <laughs> Halloween, right? Hey there, Chuck. Yes, we've got some scary foods. Uh, we, we do. We, we have a ton of scary foods, and there are a ton out there. We're going to get to, I believe, six of the scariest, and then we're going to open up a little bit of Q&A at the end. So happy Halloween. Um, with that, if you do have... Uh, this Facebook Live going. Go ahead and post your comment, your question below, and we will do our best at the end of the show to get to as many of your questions as we possibly can. And oh, by the way, it would be delightfully scary in a good way if you could subscribe to the show also on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your podcast from. Look up the exam room by the Physicians Committee. Go ahead and subscribe there. And, um, a five-star rating would be would be really nice as well. That'd be a treat, not a trick. It'd be a treat if you gave us a five-star rating as well. Dr. Barnard, my friend, Scary Foods. As we tape this, it is, oh, about 15 minutes past 10 o'clock in the morning. A lot of people sitting down. They're still having that morning cup of coffee. Yes. And one of the big ones going around continues to be this bulletproof coffee. How scary 
is bulletproof coffee? Um, there's two things that are scary about it. Number one, the coffee itself. Um, and that is, the idea is you put butter into your coffee. Now, coffee is a jolt that can wake you up, but apart from its caffeine, you can't say anything terribly bad about it. Um, but you throw butter in it, um, its saturated fat level goes way, way up. And there are some variants of this with coconut oil and uh, so forth. Um, one cup. 16 grams of saturated fat. That's the bad fat. That's the one that's bad for your heart. It's bad for your brain. Um, That's the first thing about it. But the second thing that's even scarier about it is that people are cholesterol deniers. Um, The whole idea is you can drink this stuff and it won't hurt you. And yes, it'll raise your cholesterol level, but who cares? Uh, Because uh, anyway, that's a really worrisome trend that we're now seeing where, um, and we're seeing it with coconut oil too. Mm -hmm. They'll say, yeah, it'll raise your cholesterol, but um, for some magical reason it won't hurt you. Terrible stuff. I wouldn't go near it. Uh, The cholesterol, again, uh, for those who may be novices in the nutrition world, cholesterol is bad because... Okay. Um, Cholesterol are... These are particles in the blood that irritate the artery wall and the wall of the artery, whether it's an artery to your heart or to your brain or somewhere else in your body, uh, where the cholesterol irritates it, it forms a raised bump called a plaque. Mm-hmm. And as that bump grows and grows and grows, it squishes the the artery opening so that less and less and less blood can get through. And at some point, that mass can actually break like a blister opening up, and then it creates a blood clot right there that's just like a cork, and you don't get any blood flow at all. Mm. And at that point, if it's going to your brain, you you have a stroke. If it's going to your heart, you have a heart attack. Um, And it can cause problems elsewhere in the body. That's what cholesterol does. Um, Cholesterol in foods that you eat, as in eggs, Mm -hmm. will will add to cholesterol in your blood. Um, But a far bigger issue is this saturated fat, bad fat, uh, which is added to the bulletproof coffee. The coffee may be bulletproof, but you are not. And so if you consume this stuff, your blood cholesterol level rises and you're set up for heart problems. Now, I- I've got a question. I don't know if you can see this uh, on the Facebook Live or not. I'm dressed as bacon, obviously with the caution tape around that. Um, happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, there is a lot of saturated fat in bacon as well, I would assume. Correct? Uh, there is. As a matter of fact, uh, number one source actually is cheese and other mm-hmm. dairy products, and meat comes number two, and bacon is about the worst of it. And so like when I was a kid, my mother would make bacon in the pan, and she would save the grease. And we, you can see it solidifies. It cools down uh, if you save the bacon grease. The fact that it's solid at room temperature, that's a sign that saturated fat is the predominant fat, as, as opposed to, say, corn oil, which is liquid at room temperature. Man, no wonder I got up to 420 pounds. My grandma used to go to her house every day after school. She watched my brother and I, and on top of the stove, she had that jar of bacon grease. And it didn't matter what she was cooking. Everything got that scoop of bacon grease. She could just be, you know, percolating coffee in her old coffee maker there. Scoop of bacon grease right in it. That's, what, every, that's, what, that's what everybody used to do. I miss her every day. Um... Let's let's kind of stick with that breakfast theme. So you have your cup of coffee. What's next? Uh, let, let me no. Okay. L- l- let me hit on yogurt for just a second. Yeah. Um, for many people, they think what could be healthier than yogurt, especially Greek yogurt. After all, it comes from Greece, and everyone's is, is healthy. Um, keep in mind, this is a marketing thing. Like, wouldn't it be nice to live in the Mediterranean? Um, wouldn't it be nice to have yogurt from Greece? Um, there are a couple of problems with it. Um, Yogurt obviously comes from milk, um, Mm -hmm. and when yogurt is made, bacterial cultures are added to it. Here's what they're doing. The bacteria get into the milk, and they break apart 
the lactose sugar. Hmm. Now, people know about lactose. Lactose is the sugar that's in milk, and it's the reason why people who get digestive upset from milk, that's what causes it. The lactose sugar is fermented by the bacteria in your digestive tract, right. and then it causes gassiness and bloating and all this kind of stuff. With yogurt, they've done that in advance. So the, they add bacterial cultures that digest the yogurt, uh, digest the, um, the lactose sugar to make yogurt. Um, so far, so good. Here's why that's a problem. When they break that lactose down, two sugars result. You, you break it in two. One is glucose, normal sugar. The other is galactose, and that's the problem. Hmm. Back in the late 1980s, a researcher at, in, in Boston, uh, affiliated with Harvard University, his name was Dan Kramer, said, you know, we're seeing some bad stuff with galactose. It looks like it's attacking the ovaries of a woman who consumes yogurt or other sources of, of lactose. Uh, as the galactose is gets into her bloodstream, it seems to attack the ovary, and infertility may result. So it, it was indeed shown that uh, consumption of sources of galactose might accelerate the, the rate of infertility. Bad enough. However, Dr. Kramer went a little bit further, and other researchers looked further as well, and started to say, if it attacks the ovaries, it may not just be infertility. What about ovarian cancer, which is one of the most deadly forms of the disease? And indeed, researchers at Rutgers Cancer Institute compared women who had ovarian cancer to other women, similar in age, similar in every other respect, but did not have cancer. And the big difference seemed, or one of the big differences, seemed to be dairy consumption, particularly galactose. So other researchers went further. Researchers in Sweden looked at this. In Sweden, dairy is a really big thing. Right. And they brought in a very large study, more than 60,000 women involved in this study. And they found that those who consumed the most dairy had more than double the risk of getting ovarian cancer compared to those who consumed the least dairy. So what am I saying? I'm saying that we've been worried about dairy fat, for example. Right. For good reason. That's the saturated fat. But the dairy sugar... The lactose in your body breaks apart to produce galactose. In that Greek yogurt, the galactose is preformed, sitting there waiting for you to shovel it down your esophagus. I wouldn't go near the stuff. Interesting. And yet it's marketed as a health food. Even even the cancer organizations, yeah. if you look up you know, the healthy foods that they list on their website, a lot of them have yogurt on there. It's all marketing. It's not science. That I'm sorry to tell you. That is yep. scary. Yep. Um, one of the things that I do outside of here, and I absolutely love this, I'm a sports nut, and I'm privileged enough to be able to cover the professional team here in Washington. And in the press box at halftime, every game without fail is a huge tray of hot dogs. And if there's one thing, Dr. Barnard, that I've learned since working here with the Physicians Committee doing this exam room podcast, it's that hot dogs, those are terrifying things. Hot dogs are a scary food. Um as you know, and we've talked about before, uh, for many, many years, people have, researchers have shown that hot dogs cause colorectal cancer mm -hmm. uh, because they are a processed meat, like bacon, what, right. you're, what you're wearing, <laughs> like ham, um, like pepperoni, um, like sausage. Th these processed meats are <clears throat> strongly associated with colorectal cancer. And not just that, also with breast cancer, esophageal cancer, stomach cancer, other forms of the disease. Um, so we have talked to many and here at the physicians committee we've been trying to help people to understand that if they feed their kids foods other than processed meats they can help them prevent cancer 
And if they th- teach their kid that a hot dog is Americana and they should keep it part of their routine, they're setting their, cell- their kids up for cancer. So hot dog is scary food. But let me show you what's even scarier. Sure. And let me ask you, Emily, just zero in on this if you don't mind. I want to show you a map of Washington, D.C. And here we are. Yeah, let me put my glasses on for this one. Here. Okay. Here we are. In war- we're in Ward 3 right now. And this is Washington, D.C. Virginia's down here and Maryland's over here. Um, this is colorectal cancer incidence, whether you get it or not. And the rate, our rate here, that's uh, 22 per 100,000 people just in a year's time. And over here in Ward 7, it's 40.7. Here in Ward 8, it's 73. Wow. In other words, three times more people in Ward 8 get colorectal cancer compared to people in, in Ward 3. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the difference? It's not genetic. It has to do with economics. These people are more economically privileged up in Ward 3, less so here in Ward 8. Uh, there are more African Americans living here, but it's, this is not a genetic issue because if you look at colorectal cancer in Africa, rates are low as long as people are eating beans and root vegetables and traditional foods. Once you get over here into Ward 8 and Ward 7, um, people tend to be eat at greater risk from these same foods, the processed meats hot dogs, sausage, and so forth. My message is throw those foods out. Let me show you another graph. This is the same data, but now shown as bars. Wow, look Here at I that. am in Ward 3, Ward 2. Um, these are more affluent. These are less affluent areas. This is all related to economics and food. So my point is, uh, why is it that schools in the District of Columbia still serve these foods? What, uh, who's going to die as a result of that. Hmm. Why is it that every hospital in the district still serves these foods? And somebody from Ward 8 might go into a hospital in Ward 3. And do you think between the time they check in and the time they check out, anybody will have said to them, you know, if you avoid eating these foods, you can cut your risk. Mm. No, they don't say that. And the, the very foods are, these very foods are on the menu and served to all the employees in, in, in the uh, cafeteria. Now, these are not... Um, uneducated people running the hospitals. They just haven't yet made the decision to change this. So we need to change this. Uh, I guess we're, we're being asked to talk a little bit louder here, so uh, apologies, Facebook. Uh, I guarantee if you download this on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher later on today, the audio will be pristine. That's another reason why you might want to subscribe. Um, I want to go back real quick, Dr. Barnard, to what you were talking about as far as hospitals. Unfortunately, I spent a couple of days in the hospital myself earlier this year. Completely a fluke thing these things happen um and i will never forget looking at the menu and seeing everything on there now i will give props to uh the adventist uh, health group for having uh, some plant-based options on their menu but it was still predominantly you know processed meat things including hot dogs like you could basically call up room service there and get a hot dog right. whenever you want and it just seems so counterintuitive to me that that would be on that menu for the very reasons that yeah. you just mentioned. This will change. Um, back in the 1980s, they sold cigarettes in hospitals, and I bought them. Um, back when I was a medical student and a resident, we weren't stupid, but we figured, you know, we're under stress. We can light up and whatever, and we'll, as long as we could, eventually we'll be okay. Well, eventually was now, and so we dumped the cigarettes out of the hospital. That's where we are now a generation later with food. we got to change it. All right, so hot dogs, high fat, high cholesterol, high everything that's bad for you. But one of the meats that a lot of people think is healthy is chicken. You know, people go crazy over chicken breasts. But you're telling me 
that this is a food that belongs on the scariest food list. Uh, yes, and actually two things. Let me say really quickly. Let's say somebody eats the turkey hot dog. Right. Still associated with colorectal cancer, just like the beef hot dog. Because it's processed? We don't know 100% why, but it's, 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 uh, the risk is still there. Okay. Um, we think it's, it, has, it may have to do with the way it is processed, but we're not 100% sure. Just the, what we're sure of is that if you ate the oatmeal for breakfast, you're doing better. <laughs> um, okay, but now it, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more about um, chicken yes. in particular. Um, urinary tract infections. That doesn't sound funny. The last thing you'd ever think of with chicken. But researchers at McGill University uh, published a number of papers. First one, 2010. Um, and what they did is they looked at the DNA footprint of the E. coli that caused a, a person's urinary tract infection. A young woman goes into the emergency room, says, I'm really sick. Um, this really hurts. What do I do? That you get, she uh, gets antibiotics in a typical case, and that'll take care of the problem. But you can sample the E. coli that caused the infection. Then the investigators go into the grocery store, and they sample chicken. And as you know, a chicken is a live animal whose throat was slit, and then his abdomen was slit, and out from the abdomen comes uh, the intestinal tract, which may accidentally be slit, and the fecal bacteria go all over the place, and they get on the outside of the chicken, and then even though it goes through a water bath, that water bath, after about a 1,000 chickens, is not so clean anymore. Then the chicken carcass is wrapped up in plastic and sent to the, your local grocery store. You bring it home, put it on your chicken counter, open it up, some of it gets on your fingers, on your countertop, and on your implements. Hmm. You take the DNA fingerprint of that chicken bacteria, and you look at and compare at the DNA fi- with the DNA fingerprint of a woman's urinary tract infection. We are finding an exact match of these in about 85% of urinary tract infections. Wow. What I am suggesting is that you don't just get this because it's bugs, it's bacteria, they just, they just arrive. We believe that the human intestinal tract from people who consume animal products or people who have been infected by somebody who does, let's say somebody else cooked your meal, um, you might be in a vegan restaurant served by the non-vegan uh, cook who is harboring these bacteria, they get into your digestive tract, they just sit there. Mm. And then they can crawl through um, and get into the bladder and cause an infection. So the point I'm making is that urinary tract infections, according to the best evidence we have, starts with chicken. So here's a 2010 paper, same thing, 2012, and a new uh, review came out in just uh, two years ago, 2016, looking at the same thing. Um, I'm not suggesting that avoiding chicken is going to eliminate all urinary tract infections. What I am saying is that if people had never brought chickens into their lives, maybe these bacteria never would have. That's have caused this problem. That's interesting. You know, we we hear a lot about again going back to cholesterol. We hear a lot about that with the chicken, and obviously fat and fried chicken. That's a whole other category unto itself, really. But not UTIs. That's interesting. I'm not sure that a lot of people know that. I'm sure. I'm sure virtually nobody knows it. Um, same thing with flu, with the influenza. Uh-huh. You know, people think of flu. Well, that's just that's some kind of microbial invader that arrived. Um, the avian flu, mm-hmm. bird flu, comes from birds. Um, swine flu comes from swine. And what uh, researchers have traced is starting back in 1918 when we had a terrible, terrible influenza outbreak, followed by many others that animal viruses have started to infect people. And then pretty soon we get immunity to them and we're able to knock them out. The um, viruses mixed with others, they get a new genetic 
uh, uh, profile, mm-hmm. and then you're no longer immune, and you get a new flu outbreak again and again and again and again. And we believe this starts with uh, birds, particularly chickens, and also pigs. Now, somebody and, and, and it comes and it's, it's by the way, it's not a wild chicken that that brings this to you. It's chickens on farms. Right. It's pigs on farms. If people didn't didn't confine these animals and have them sitting there as a basically a cesspool of viruses and bacteria, we wouldn't have this problem. So somebody might be listening and they may be thinking to themselves, yes, but I only eat the white meat of the chicken. Certainly that's healthier. Off base or spot on? Uh, completely off base when, when it comes to the bacterial contamination um, because it's, it's not that the white meat had bacteria on it when the chicken was clucking around. It's that when the chicken are slaughtered, the feces of the chicken splatter all over the place. They splatter on the white meat, the dark meat, the feathers, the hands of the person slaughtering it, and all the people wrapping it up and, and everywhere. Yeah. Mm. Well... Isn't this appetizing? That's, Aren't you uh, glad you decided scary. to do this topic? I mean, my goodness, I was looking forward to eating an orange after this, but uh, I've completely lost my appetite. It's getting worse, Chuck. I got, I got one more for you. <laughs> I got two more, actually. Uh, okay, uh, real quick, just a reminder. If you have uh, a question that you would like to ask on the Scariest Foods podcast of the exam room, go ahead and post it in the comments section below. A couple foods left. Uh, what else is on your scary food list, sir? Okay, um, I want to want to mention one that I actually mentioned in my book, the cheese trap, which I brought in, um, which I, I published this a couple of years ago because of people are just addicted to cheese. Oh, yeah. And cheese is problematic in many different ways. Velveeta has 800 milligrams of sodium in one serving. Oof. That's two or three times more than potato chips. But um, when you look at the cheeses, if you were to go to Sardinia or um, go to Corsica, which is right down there, kind of at the bottom of France, mm-hmm. um, below and uh, below Italy, or off to the west of Italy. Um, in Sardinia and in Corsica, people like to take a kind of cheese called pecorino cheese. And you leave it out. And what happens is that there are flies that are called cheese flies, or cheese skippers, and I'll tell you why they're called that in a minute. The flies land on the pecorino cheese. And they sit there, and it's a nice, cozy place for them. They lay their eggs. And very soon, the egg hatches. And out hops a maggot. And you would think the person who left it there would say, that's horrifying. Get off my cheese. Mm-mm. They say, that's exactly what I had in mind. Come on. And the maggots hatch, and they start kind of swimming around, and they jump like a little cheese skipper, little jumping maggots. And at that point, you take a cracker, and you smear this pecorino cheese on the cracker. Um, it's, all, it's now called kazu marsu, which means like rotten cheese. Put it on the cracker, and you hold a card above it as you shove it into your mouth, and the card is going to protect the rest of your face from the leaping maggots. They can go about six inches. Um, and down the hatch it goes. I don't know where to go from that. I honestly do not know how we can continue this conversation any further. I had no idea <laughs> that maggots on cheese is considered a delicacy, and that is the most stomach-churning thing that I have heard in Years. Wait, no, wait, 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 Chuck. I got one more for you. No, no, no. Yes, I have one I, more. I, I, can't, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. <laughs> one more. I was. I, I turned on Good Morning America the other day, and I have to say they were very nice people, and they have lots of good information. But they then announced, "Aren't the people from Burger King nice?" They gave us breakfast today. Mm. So, yes, they brought in Burger King food, um, including the Nightmare King from Burger King. And what if, if you thought Burger King was pretty unhealthy as it is, <laughs> what do you do when you take a quarter pound of flame-grilled beef 
and white meat that you throw on top, and you throw on American cheese. We've already talked about cheese. Uh, and you throw on bacon, and you slather on the mayo, and you put a, a bun on top of it. What you end up with, if your normal breakfast might have 300 calories, 400 calories, something like that. You have now graduated to 1,020 calories in just this one burger. Wow. Um, if you might get in your breakfast maybe a gram or two of saturated fat, now you've got 20 grams of saturated mm. fat. And if in a day you might uh, get a little bit of sodium, uh, a meal might bring you 200 mil- milligrams of sodium, maybe 300. Now, with uh, Burger King's Nightmare King, you can get 1,890 milligrams of sodium in one sandwich. Wow. That... And, and if you're a Burger King, you get free advertising from our friends at Good Morning America. Well, I mean, that's that's just it. I mean, that that is... the tens of thousands of dollars worth of free advertising right. you send in the product. And of course it's a catchy thing, the Nightmare King burger guaranteed to induce. They literally did a study. This is this is the, the thing about this Nightmare King burger. Researchers gave this burger to people right before they went to sleep and said, are you more likely to have a nightmare? I'm kind of not surprised based off of the ingredients that you just read off that the answer indeed is yes. If you eat this right before bed, you're going to have bad dreams. Yes, that's right. And um, who's really having nightmares are all the doctors and epidemiologists who are concerned about what's happening. Because it's not just Burger King. It's this sort of complicity that we have where you know everybody likes the idea of just having fun foods. And if there are health problems, of course, what do we do? We just sort of laugh it off and say, you know, Halloween's once a year. But November 1st is also once a year, mm-hmm. and November 2nd is once a year, and November 3rd is once a year, and we eat rotten foods all those times. Right. And we all kind of collectively are afraid to say, this is the nutritional equivalent of cigarettes or cigars or anything else that's really dangerous. And so, yes, it's, it's cute and it's funny and so forth, but at some point, the problems that these, solve, that, that these cause just aren't funny anymore. And the idea of actually feeding decent food to your family or to your own coronary arteries, um, and if it can save you from having cancer, heart disease, that's really a darn good idea. And if we're so uncreative that we can't have fun on Halloween without poisoning our friends, you know, then we're not doing such a good job. Well, let's, uh, real quick before we open it up to questions, again, if you have one, go ahead and post it in the comments section below. Um, Let's check off all the boxes and talk about the various diseases that this sandwich alone can be linked to. So we've got beef, chicken, cheese, bacon, and eggs from the mayonnaise. And goodness only knows what they use to dye that bun green. Typically, I like green food. I'm not sold on this green <laughs> this green bun. Yeah, I, I, I imagine it's probably not between two slabs of kale. I don't, no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, well, you know, the, the beef, as you know, and the chicken and the cheese and the bacon and the mayo – all are very high in the bad fat, saturated fat, right. uh, and they have cholesterol too. So that causes your cholesterol level to rise. What does that do? Heart disease, Alzheimer's disease. Mm. Those are the two biggies where saturated fat plays a huge role. Um, these are also foods associated with cancer, not just colorectal cancer, but breast cancer and others too. Um, and there's something about calories and weight, <laughs> which I don't need to tell you or anybody else. Is there else. a correlation there? <laughs> there I might don't be. Know. There, there might be a connection. But if one sandwich has more than a thousand calories, you are talking about not being. This is not really a slimming food. I wouldn't say. So um, sodium. 
is, I guess everybody knows it raises your blood pressure. Sure. That's for sure true. And here you've got just about two grams of sodium, which is a pretty good limit for an entire day. Right. You've got that in just one food. Um, sodium, which many people not, may, may not realize, also causes your body to lose calcium. Hmm. That's right, osteoporosis. Um, what, the more sodium goes in, the more calcium comes out. Interesting. Yeah, you're peeing out calcium when you have too much sodium. Did not know that. Yep. That, too, is scary. Uh, and you, so take this thing. If you bought one, go home. And if your garbage disposal is working, now is the time to give it a good test. I, I would agree with that. And, and you know, here here's my scary addition to that. You talk about this sandwich alone having uh, more than 1,000 calories and all of that sodium. Who eats a burger without fries? And so, you know, fries, salt, more sodium, more cholesterol, more calories, all of that, more fat going in there. Again, I mean, that's nightmare round two. Throw in the milkshake and you can add ovarian cancer to the list. Let's just do it. You know what we need to do? We're, we're going to balance out all of this chatter with some health foods. Okay, so I've got an orange here. Thank you. I've got a banana here. Here you go. You can hold that and just feel a little bit better about yourself. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to hold on to this pear because it's green. And it's the healthy kind of green, unlike Great. that crazy sesame seed uh, bun. Now, let's uh, open it up to some questions again. If you have one, go ahead and post it in the comments section below. Excuse me while I put on my glasses. Uh, this one from a gentleman by the name of Dave. Dr. Barnard, can you comment on the ketosis trend and its destructive effects on the human body? Obviously referring to the bulletproof coffee that we talked about. Um, yeah. You know, here in Washington, we have, um, we have cicadas. Mm-hmm. These are bugs. They're in the... They're insects. They're in um, many other areas as well. And they go into the trees. Uh, they come out of the ground every 17 years and they buzz around. And then they go back into the ground for 17 years. And while they're in the ground, they write books about low-carb diets. And then 17 years later, they come back again. Um, I'm kidding, needless to say. But my point (laughs) is that Atkins came out, and then years later, it was the South Beach diet. And then it was the keto diet. And then it sort of dies, and then it resurges. Um, This idea of blaming carbohydrate for all of our problems and avoiding that um, is really just a fad. And the reason I put it that way is if you look at, say, Japan or China, when they were at their healthiest – before fast foods invaded. They were eating rice and noodles and a very high-carbohydrate diet. And even if they didn't exercise, they were healthier than everybody else Hmm. because rice doesn't have cholesterol and saturated fat and all these bad things. Um, Now, that said, if a person follows a keto diet, what's the good, what's the bad? On the sort of good side is carbohydrates are about half of what people eat. And if you leave out half of what you eat, you're likely to lose weight. Any half, right. you're, you're going to lose weight. Um, and when people lose weight, no matter how they do it, their cholesterol usually starts to fall. Uh, every pound you lose takes about a point off your total cholesterol. And that's true, no matter how you lose weight, except on the keto diet. About one in three keto dieters or Atkins dieters finds just the opposite. Because instead of carbs, they're eating meat now maybe more meat, their cholesterol levels go up, especially LDL, bad cholesterol. Sometimes it goes up astronomically. So um, and it, over the long run, when you, when you track people who stick with low-carb, high-protein diets, their mortality is substantially higher than other people. So don't go near it. Um, let the cicadas stay in the ground. Don't read what they have to say. Well, along those lines, good question here from Marianne. She writes, my cholesterol is very low after being on a plant-based diet. Can it be too low? Okay, great question. Can your cholesterol be too low on a plant-based diet? Um, no. You're, you, there is, 
your body will make all the cholesterol that you need. Your, your body turns cholesterol into hormones. Mm -hmm. It's used in producing vitamin D in the body and many other things. Um, but you don't need to eat any cholesterol at all. And if your cholesterol level has dropped, some people are shocked. You know, their total cholesterol was 250 before, and now it's 120. And they're thinking, could that be too low or maybe, maybe even lower than that? Um, no problem at all. Excellent. No problem. Uh, Verinder was curious about the yogurt that we were discussing. What about lactose-free milk and yogurt? So ah, okay. Great question. Um, that's exactly the same thing that is what we were talking about because you take the lactose in the milk and you put the bacterial cultures in that break the lactose apart. And so it's now lactose-free, but what they broke it into was galactose and glucose. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're eating. And it's the galactose that uh, has been linked to ovarian cancer and to infertility. This is the Scariest Foods edition of the Exam Room Podcast. Again, if you have a question for Dr. Barnard, go ahead, post it in the comments section below. Uh, Britt came strong with this one. Uh, she said that there's a scary misnomer out there, the belief that people get their calcium exclusively from cow's milk. That's not necessarily the case. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, very important. Calcium, it, cows don't make calcium. Cows just eat calcium. The, the cow stands there on the ground. Calcium is an element that's in the earth. And when grass grows out of the ground, it pulls the calcium into its roots, and it gets into the leaves, and the cow eats the grass and absorbs some of that calcium, which ends up in the milk. If you drink the milk, you absorb maybe 32% of it, something like that. Um, if instead the calcium from the earth goes into broccoli and you eat that, mm -hmm. you're getting the calcium directly from the plants as opposed to putting it through a cow's body. And the absorption fraction from broccoli is higher, substantially higher than that from milk. Right. And by the way, it doesn't have to be broccoli. It could be kale, collards, Brussels sprouts, lots of, lots of choices. But green vegetables are, for the most part, really good choices. Now, Dania, uh, Dania DePav, right across the hall. She's a phenomenal uh, employee here. Actually, uh, my boss. Hi, Dania. Um, <laughs> so don't be mad at her. She's watching the show. I'm assuming she's multitasking. So uh, she has a question for both of us. Uh, we'll start with you, Neil. She said, what is the one food each of you would never eat? You go first, sir. The one food you would never, ever eat. Does it have to be just one? She asked for one, but hey, man. we. I, I got a list of seven I'm not going to eat right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you. Starting with my friends at Burger King and Pecorino Cheese and all these things. Um, I have to say that for me, the rules are pretty simple. Um, you avoid the animal products. And a lot of people do that, A, because they don't like the idea of animals being hurt and slaughtered and transported. And that's a really good motivation. Right. Or they've learned that it's really bad for the earth. Because it is. Mm -hmm. Or they've learned that their coronary arteries are a whole lot happier when they're not eating it anyway. So for me, I avoid animal products. I keep vegetable oils to a, just a bare minimum, and I use non-oil cooking techniques. And then for everything that's left, I try to choose the healthiest ones. There you go. Uh, for me, it would be anything from Taco Bell. That was my vice. If, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know I used to weigh 420 pounds and was a woeful food addict. Could not go a day without going through the drive-thru and literally spending $20 to get this heart attack in a sack. Um, and so I will never, ever ever under any circumstances go back to that uh, drive-through the the thought of that is the scariest thought of all because i just will not i refuse to put my health my my life back in jeopardy in that regard so never ever 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 under any circumstances dania 
will I go through that particular drive-thru? But you know, Chuck, what's the opposite of scary? The opposite of scary is confident and empowered, and that's what you are. Yes. You know, because once you find, okay, I, I've heard you say this. I was hooked on these foods. I was a food addict. And, and you are not alone. Everybody in my view, has the capacity to get hooked on whatever it might be, whether it's sugar or cheese or, or meat or something. And once you recognize it and break away from it and you get a little distance from it, you've got such confidence and such power that it's you're just not scared of those things because you've, you've conquered it. So. Amen to that. Good on, Good uh, on you. So along those positive lines, June has a question. She says, your comments are focusing on what's bad. Yes, this is the Scariest Foods podcast, but what can we safely eat? So the healthiest options real quick. Oh, good. I, um, do I hear an opportunity to mention that I have a new book coming out? I believe this would be the appropriate time. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, we, many years ago, released something called the Vegetarian Starter Kit as uh, a, a really easy brochure to give to people. And many other groups released their own versions of this after we did, and it's been copied by lots of people, and it's been a great thing. But I've discovered that people want a little bit more detail in something they can give to their kids their parents, their spouse, their doctor. So I have written a book called The Vegan Starter Kit, the book. Very cool. um, but it's small, it's thin, and it's coming out December 24th, but it's on pre-order now. And so um, you will see it on Amazon and everywhere else. It's called Vegan, The Vegan Starter Kit. And it shows you all the things that you could do that are good for you. And it has um, a handful of starter recipes, and they're all healthy things. So what are the good things? To get back to the question. Uh, four groups that everybody already knows about. Your vegetables are as good as you ever thought they were. Fruits are good for you. The bean group, which is neglected but fantastic, and the whole grain group. Those are really good things. Uh, in the supplement category, there are a 1,000 supplements, and you don't need 999 of them. Um, <laughs> but uh, let me cheerlead for vitamin B12. Uh, if you're on a vegan diet, you should be supplementing B12. Uh, vitamin D, maybe, maybe not. Depends on whether you live in Buffalo, New York or not. Um, what I mean is sunshine on your skin gives you B12, uh, right. gives, gives you vitamin D. Um, if you're not getting sun, you should be supplementing vitamin D. So we uh, touched briefly on eggs. Kristen wants to know, are there any problems with eating egg white? So not the yolk, just the egg white. Oh, great question. Actually, there, there, are, there are just two problems with the egg. I'm the, guessing the yolk, <laughs> the, the yolk is one and the white is the other. Um, the yolk is, as um, the caller I think is thinking about, the yolk is where all the cholesterol is, and it's a lot. It depends on the size of the egg and the breed, but, but uh, it can be roughly 200 milligrams of cholesterol in one single egg yolk. You take out the yolk, that's gone. That's good. What is in the white? The white is just this big glob of animal protein. Now, you're getting more than enough protein already, and animal proteins are, in my view, not as healthy for you as plant proteins. They have amino acids in them, but when we track people who consume more animal protein, they seem to be set up for other problems. Uh, you have probably heard Colin Campbell uh, in the China study mm -hmm. talk about the risks of animal versus plant proteins. Colin was focused on cancer risk, um, but others have focused on things like osteoporosis and, and other issues. Um, and I'm setting aside the fact that the egg of... A chicken is porous, and salmonella can get inside even through an intact shell. So that's a risk for both the yolk and the white. So I would stay away from it. If you're looking for something to scramble up, um, and if you haven't done this, try tofu. Yes. Now, for, for a lot of folks, if they haven't had it, they're a little afraid of it. They think, isn't that some Asian thing? And it, it is, <laughs> yes. Um, but there's a reason why it's so popular. It's very much like egg white, except there's no... Um, 
chicken involved. Um, it's just made from soy. And you, if you, you can scramble it just like egg white. Yep. And you can flavor it up, and it's absolutely delicious. Zero cholesterol, zero animal fat. Really, really good for you. Super easy. Uh, yeah, I did that um, quite regularly on the weekend, throwing in a little turmeric, you know, so if you want that yellow color, if you're used to that with your eggs, you can make it yellow. And then I throw in uh, some vegetables in there, typically a little bit of spinach, uh, maybe some red peppers and some mushrooms, and, you know, just do a nice, healthy scramble like that. And let me tell you something. That, my friend, that is a good way to start your day. That's what that is. I'll be right over. Yeah, come on. Um, hey, by the way, um, uh, some people, when they hear me say this, they're going to say, but doesn't soy cause cancer? It does the opposite. Mm. Uh, for, for anybody who hasn't heard this message already, let me make sure you have. Um, researchers have looked at cancer in women, those who consume soy and those who do not. And a woman who consumes the most soy, I'm talking about just soy milk or tofu, something like that, right. she will have about a 30% reduction in her risk of breast cancer hmm. compared to a woman who does not consume soy. And for a woman who was diagnosed previously with breast cancer, her risk of recurrence is cut by about 30% also. So I, you don't have to have soy. It's totally optional. But it does not cause cancer. It seems to prevent it. Just a few minutes left here on the podcast. Again, if you have a question, go ahead and put it in the comment section below. We're talking about the scariest foods, the Halloween edition of the Exam Room Podcast. Subscribe to it now, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, or just watch it right here. That's cool, too. Uh, Emily, going back to the protein question, if someone is eating a high-protein plant-based diet, for example, 30% of their calories are coming from protein, is it still possible for the body to have the negative side effects of a high-protein diet? Well, first of all, if it's plant protein, um, you're, you're thinking right. Um, animal proteins have been associated with all kinds of problems, and this is what Dr. Campbell talked about in the China study. Uh, he, again, his focus was cancer, but people have looked at other, other issues. With plant proteins, we don't seem to have that issue. Uh, when we look at the risks of osteoporosis, for example, the plant proteins don't seem to be associated with it. Mm. Um, that said, you don't need that much protein. Your body does really, really well with a much lower protein intake. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there intentionally, but if you're having extra protein and it's plant-derived, you're going to do better. Here's a question uh, from uh, Dina, and I think that this is actually one of the better questions that uh, we've received. I donate blood regularly, she writes. Is it safe to take iron supplements? I'm concerned about Alzheimer's risk. Okay. Oh, what a fabulous question. Um, for a longer answer, my book, Power Foods for the Brain, goes into that in some detail. And for those of you who are physicians or healthcare providers, the world's iron expert is coming to Washington uh, July 26th and 27th to the International Conference on Nutrition in Medicine. There His name is Ashley Bush. He lives in Australia. He's coming here to give us the latest on iron and, and Alzheimer's disease. But here's the Cliff Notes version. Um, if you get too much, you, your body needs a little bit of iron for healthy blood. Right. Iron is in hemoglobin. It carries oxygen to your tissues. But if you get too much, it's toxic to the heart, and it appears to be toxic to the brain. So you don't want to get too much. So if you get it in plant sources like green leafy vegetables and beans, your body is getting a source that called non-heme iron where it can absorb more if it needs more. It can absorb less if it needs less. If you get iron from meat... It's all, it's heme iron, or uh, it's not entirely heme iron, but heme iron is there, which it's not in plants. And heme iron just barges into the party whether it's invited or not. In, in other words, you may be overloaded. It just keeps coming on in. So I would avoid that. Um, I would not supplement with iron unless you're under the care of a healthcare provider who has done some testing and found that you are A, low, 
and be probably symptomatic in some way. If you're just a little bit low, borderline, or kind of on the borderline, a lot of doctors will just leave it alone. Right. Uh, but if you're fatigued and ragged out and really tired and you're really seriously low, at that point your doctor is going to talk about changing your diet, looking for why you may be iron low, uh, low in iron, because some people it's because of occult bleeding that has to be detected. For some it's because they are training for a marathon, and people who exercise a lot, often get low in iron. Right. Um, if you have to supplement, you can, but do it under the doctor's care. Yeah. Uh, that's also something to be on the lookout for for uh, bariatric patients. If you've had weight loss surgery, that's that's one of the big ones. Yep. Um, Byron writes, seeing coconut oil in more plant-based products, thoughts about the health benefits and risks, please. Anyway. Um, there are no benefits to coconut oil. There are only risks. It's, it's very high in saturated fat. It'll raise your cholesterol. Don't eat it. Shine your shoes with coconut oil. There you go. Polish your car with coconut oil. Don't, f- don't feed it to anyone you care about. Your car will it, smell it, fantastic. Fads are not science. This is a fad. Casey Miller, can you tell us the best foods for regulating hormones? Aren't you sweet? I'm actually writing a new book on that very topic, um, which you. is which is going to come out. Is that coming out December 24th? No, no, no. I'm sorry. That's that's the different the VSK VSK the book um, that's coming out now. But my hormone book is coming out in about a year. Um, Plant-based foods regulate hormones. Number one, they tend not to drive hormones up out of the healthy range. And they also have fiber, which helps your body to eliminate extra hormones. Here's what I'm suggesting. For example, let's say a woman has menstrual cramps. Okay. Now, many women have cramps, but for some women, they are off the scale, like life-threatening type cramps. Sure. Um, Not literally, but they feel that way. Um, Try this. Completely vegan diet with absolutely no added oils and foods as natural and high fiber as you can get. And next cycle, see if things aren't different. And these same changes then can help reduce a woman's risk of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, we believe, according to the best evidence we have. And for men, prostate cancer as well. So those are just some starters, but um, there's a lot more to the hormone gang. So anyway, these are great questions. It's been wonderful to talk with you today. And I hope this was useful. I hope we didn't scare everybody too much. I mean, well, it was the scariest foods podcast, but but we gave some good insight. And so, so when you when you're giving good knowledge, I don't think that that's scary at all. That's a wonderful thing. That Great. is a wonderful thing. So no regrets on November first, then. All right, so here we go. Uh, plug plug time again. If you have not already done so, please go ahead and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast, on Spotify, on Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your audio from. That is where you can find the Exam Room Podcast. Did you know that we just uh, a couple weeks ago crossed the million listener? Mark? I did. Congratulations. Chuck. How great is that? It's fantastic. I mean, yeah, within the first couple months. And your book, again, comes out uh, December 24th, Christmas Eve, just in time for the holidays. The Vegan Starter Kit is a practical guide that makes going vegan simple and fun. Whether you're hoping to improve your health, help the environment, or save animals, it's a step-by-step guide on how to get started, including thorough guidelines on ensuring complete nutrition with quick reference charts for nutritional sources of calcium and protein. Hey, we just talked about that uh december 24th i have seen the book it is phenomenal it is a very small read i think that it's a great read uh if if you're doing holiday travel you know you always go and and they have these news kiosks in the airport or maybe if you're taking the train amtrak whatever this is a great one to just grab and go with you i think that this is phenomenal thank you for saying that i'm hoping that people see it as totally non-threatening so the next halloween instead of candy you could throw that you could throw a vegan starter kit in every kid's bag hopefully they won't scream anyway thank you chuck Thank you very much, Dr. Neil Barnard. This has been a very special live edition of the Exam Room Podcast. Thanks for watching.
Well, if that didn't scare the pants off of you, I don't know what will. Mm, some scary things in there. How about what Dr. Barnard said about the chicken, right? So often we think about the fat and we think about the cholesterol, but we don't think about the other contaminants that can come with it and how one slip of a knife can cause you so much stomach upset. How about that? Not not exactly the most pleasant thought. Indeed, that would qualify as a scary food. So I hope that you learned something today. And thank you so much to everybody that submitted questions on the program today. I thought that that was absolutely fantastic. Just had a ton, a ton of feedback on the Facebook Live. So thank you very much to everybody who participated. We're going to be doing more of these in the future. Now, immediately coming up next week, hey, you know, it's fall. And yes, okay, so maybe we missed out on getting pumpkins in there before Halloween, but nonetheless, lots of good things come in the fall with pumpkins. So what we're going to do next week, Pumpkin 101, everything that you possibly want to know about a pumpkin and then some, we're going to tell you. I took a trip out to a local pumpkin farm. And I went out with one of the growers and I asked him everything that I possibly could think of when it comes to pumpkins. And there are dozens of varieties of pumpkins that we're going to be going into. And did you know, did you know that there is such a thing as a cheese pumpkin? Now, don't get it twisted. We're not saying that there's actually cheese in this pumpkin. It's just the title. But this cheese pumpkin is the pumpkin that you're going to want to use when you make a pumpkin pie. That is according to Ben Butler, who is a third-generation farmer at Butler's Orchard just outside of Washington, D.C. in beautiful Gaithersburg, Maryland. It's a fascinating show. I cannot wait to release it. That will be dropping next Wednesday, Pumpkin 101. Now, if you're listening to this show on our brand spanking new website, and boy, does it look spiffy, pcrm.org slash podcast. Uh, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your audio. Go ahead and subscribe to the exam room by the Physicians Committee, and we will go ahead and send you this wonderful show each and every week without you having to lift a finger. Tons of knowledge, tons of hope, tons of inspiration that you're going to want to take and you're going to want to share with your friends and your family and you're going to want to have fun. We do have fun episodes like we did today with the scariest foods. More to come. You know, Thanksgiving is right around the corner too. I bet you we're going to have a bit of a recipe bonanza. If you want to do a super deluxe fancy pants plant-based Thanksgiving... My friend, I think that you're listening to the right show. Stay tuned for that next week, Pumpkin 101. But for now, for Dr. Neil Barnard and everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. 